Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Delicious Podcast Extra Portion with me, Julie Smith. This week, the last week of 2017, Jamie Oliver reflects on his food fights, both on screen and off, over the last two decades talking openly about his opinions and visions and what it could take to change areas of the food industry to make it fairer for all. And perhaps, as you might expect, there's a little bit of mild swearing. I started by asking him what he thought he'd achieved through Channel 4's Friday Night Feasts over the last year. First of all, I think um, just talking about the subject of food, celebration of food, the interest of food, the politics of food, you can look at you know food through so many different lenses. And actually, Friday night has always been a troubled night on TV. So it's really it's a struggling spot. And for whatever reason, um, we ha- we're in our seventh season of Friday Night Feast, which is essentially trying to get the country excited about the concept of tomorrow ain't like a working day for most of us. It is markets. It is like a different vibe. You have got more time. And whether you're going to a pub or a butcher's or if you're you know, going shopping... Uh, you know, have a look for some different things. You know, most of us do cook differently at the weekend. So this then becomes, in our seventh season, this amazing opportunity to not just make you laugh and and joke uh, and and have joyful stories around food. Um, Also, we want to kind of get your, you know, your radar up. We want to get your ears pricking up. We want you to be bothered about stuff we're bothered about. And I think that's then when we have, like, 12 minutes in the show, in the hour... um, to try and inform the great British public, actually the global public, you know, this goes to 80 countries around the world, about stuff that maybe we didn't know happens in our food system. And um, when you scratch a little bit deeper, often you find things that really bother you, that are wrong, um, that are um, misguided or, or disingenuous. And we want you to know about it. Now, what's interesting with you is you are very into your feedback. You measure your impact. To, you, know, you really know who you're talking to and how you get those messages out there because a lot of the stuff that you do is active campaigns yeah. with the Food Foundation and all the stuff that you do. You know, your revolution is sort of written in your blood, isn't it? And so when you're talking to those Friday night feasters, what kind of feedback do you get to know that those people are really paying attention? Um, if I'm really honest, it's often about timing. You know, like I've done a couple of really important food fights that were just too early. Like. So holiday hunger, for instance, you know, which is a narrative about when you put when you put a kind of lens onto the poorest of our communities, which are often on the dole and on benefits. Um, those kids will always get a free lunch or breakfast, 
and they're protected by the state 190 days of the year throughout the whole of their schooling. But then when they go on school holidays, most of the country's like, yay! Um, and the joys of food and being on holiday. But for those parents, it's like, oh my lord, what am I going to do with the same budget? But then I, I, I've got no lunch and breakfast covered. So, so although I believe in the depths of my bones that if you're bothered about numbers of unemployment, then actually we should care about holiday hunger because A, kids are getting hungry, um, therefore they're largely given rubbish, so those kids are getting fatter quicker, uh, and, and those parents don't go back to work because they're, they're worried for their kids. But from the slightly, um, I won't mention the newspaper, but that kind of part of Britain that is very close to many of us, um, they're seen as ponces and takers, and they're on benefits. So we were early with that story, and it didn't resonate the way it should have, but I know that we've got to come back to it maybe in three years' time and there'll be a moment and the time. So we don't always get it right, but, I, I, but it's still the right thing to do. Yeah. And I think sometimes like you're creating the ripple to surf on the ripple later on. So I think what's interesting about campaigning and, and change and empowering the public to vote with their pound and when they're shopping and, and, um, and realise how important that choice of where you spend a pound and just, you know, you could fix probably all of the problems in the dairy farming industry for about eight to ten pence but we don't all choose to do yeah, it because everyone's you know so but but it's but actually if you did a vote everyone will probably go fair enough yeah but you know but it's i i suppose maybe from the outside generally from journalists like did you win did you fail yeah did you didn't you yeah but actually in the campaigning spirit and the idea about changing people's perceptions or methods of farming it's a long game but actually you know if we look back over the last 20 years of your career you know let's say that a lot of people didn't really even bother to cook there were a lot of blokes who didn't cook a lot of people didn't just didn't do that thing that social thing that you did with the naked chef where you know have some people around to, to cook it doesn't have to be amazing you know it's bish bosh bosh and all that kind of stuff you know it was easy and you brought a lot of people into cooking which then grew a whole generation of people who love going to markets on saturdays mm. so there's a in that time we have a new food culture now yes. i'm not laying that at your door completely mm. but you were pretty much you know part of that whole movement sure. to get people we wanted interested. to get men cooking we yeah. wanted to get men cooking and 20 years ago in numbers they weren't yeah and that also was paralleling women going to work yeah so you get a couple both going in and putting a 12-hour day in getting back and around the whole country all these men will be going quite old-fashionedly what's for dinner love yeah. so of course as we both know, it ain't just about the food, it ain't just about the cooking, it's interconnected with so many other things. And in that respect, it was also about, you know, uh, equal opportunities for men and women, um, um, women going to work in large numbers, um, uh, how the socially the household and therefore the high street changes because of that. Yeah. But, but also sitting around the table, you know, talking to definitely. each other and having that kind of social interaction, bringing kids up, understanding that that's what food is, sure. which, of course, has been happening forever in most countries in the world, and we just kind of dropped off for historical reasons. And we don't need to go into that, but the, what's interesting about that is that you also uh, went across classes in that. Um, so it, it was a lot of working-class people um, who wouldn't have necessarily started shopping in Sainsbury's, started shopping for prawns and and things like for that sure. and and it really opened it out for them so when you're coming to your food fights and you're talking about ducks 
mm. and veal. Mm. Does that mean that you can talk directly to a wider group of people? Can you talk across class to those people and, and you know, go for the animal welfare? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think like, a lot of... If I look back over 20 years and look what I did by chance or luck in the early days um, and then what I've done through intention maybe in the last 13 years and then in the last three years being much more rigorous about and, and ninja and structured and we've got kind of you know, campaigning departments and we, people that specialise in government writing and communications and all sorts of stuff here. I think um, you have to be... I mean, I don't know if it's my dyslexia or whatever, but like, you have to be... You have to have the capacity to be very, very nuanced about the minutiae, but also go ultra-galactic and look at it. And, and, you know, one of the problems that I have is certainly... And I can only look you in the eyes and say this is the truth, but the, the reason I get up and work, uh, or I've planned to for the next 12 years, um, is because primarily it's, it's the gap between advantage and disadvantage in society um, so what does that mean it means that if you're a poor kid in Britain today it's tough um, uh, so our sites actually are primarily about getting more good real food to the poorest communities ironically if you did a poll they don't like me that much <laughs> so, well because I'm seen as a kind of middle class uh, they even say things like it goes to private school and stuff like that I think I think I think there's a few weird things that I have to cope with in my daily job. One is if you care about food, that's posh. But of course, if me and you had that conversation in Spain, Portugal, France, they go, what? What? You know, I'm sure that it's the same for you because I know you're a foodie. But like, as I've traveled around the world eating the best food in my life, the best, most powerful moments have always been from people that haven't got much money. So, you know, so then the the luxury of life definitely becomes a, a story about Knowledge, yeah. we could call it education, but knowledge or the passing down of the craft of cooking, yeah. uh, which is, you know, essential. Um, but but then access, and I think when you're when when you're talking about the most disadvantaged communities, often even within cities, even within this country, it's stories about lack of access to fresh food, real food, yeah. and and lack of knowledge. Yeah. So really the Jamie Oliver business now and even me as a person is an, like an onion like a cut through an onion it depends which button you want to press like absolutely most people know me for jazz hands having a laugh going on a voyage an adventure and I'll happily do that and I'm really comfortable doing that and, and it's joyful and that's me as a mainstreamer that is quick and easy five ingredient food that is that concept of that book and why was it done like that in that way but behind the scenes it's like a duck underwater like there's these little legs paddling away and it is about oh god I mean I've never really tried to explain this kind of like change management and I just made that up but it's often very hard for intelligent people to understand what the blooming hell I'm talking about but if I can look back over 15 years and follow often people politicise food and farming hunger all of these issues economics um so it's money or politics and actually these can be driven unchanged for the better or worse with government government or ministers or ceos of businesses but really the bit i work best in is 
the tone of the public, the conversations the public are having around coffee machines and desks. So the reason that McDonald's UK is quite an interesting, quite to be honest, and you might be shocked me saying this, it's quite an extraordinary business now. Well, I interviewed uh, the CEO of McDonald's at yeah. your cook-off, cook yeah. and he was incredible. Um, Paul Pomeroy is the CEO now. I started talking to McDonald's, Steve Eastbrook, maybe 12 years ago. I've never worked for them or taken a penny from them, just to be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but that business is now propped up by 100% organic milk, free-range eggs, the beef's in good nick, the pork is even RSPCA Freedom Food Standard. Um, if you compare that to the American business, the only difference is what the locals want. The British public expect more. And often the British public at large don't feel part of that, but they are part of that. Mm. And it does come down to where they spend their pound when mm. they go shopping every um, week. But that's the bit that I do, which is always 10 steps removed from the action. It is. Now, I'll tell you, behind the scenes at that cook-off, that CEO cook-off that you did at Billingsgate... Um, and we did the piece for, on uh, on uh, Delicious Podcast about that. Peter Harding from LucasAid said he wanted to be on your side yeah. because that's the cool thing to do. And he said what was really interesting about that was you had persuaded him. He saw an opportunity to change the recipes at LucasAid to reduce, I think, something like 50% 40 in sugar. New recipes. And he said that the lovely thing about that was that the people who work at LucasAid know that they're Jamie's guys. And that's a cool thing. Yeah. So they become the foot soldiers. But it is because of your influence. And Paul said the same thing about McDonald's. Now, that's fabulous, but how, why do people feel that way about you and not other people? Well, look, I'm an interesting character, but I ain't that bright. I've never done anything that clever. I've never come up with a concept that I'm proud of, that I've achieved, that my 12-year-old child couldn't have come up with, right? So, you know, as much as I've been involved in some incredible things, we're really fighting a lot, and we're putting a lot into making some very basic decisions we're not even talking about cutting edge we're not even talking about things that will really sculpt us to 2050 with a population rising by billions and water displacement becoming a problem and antibiotic resistance and obesity getting even worse we ain't even on that conversation we're dealing with the last 20 years shite so um i love it it's if i'm really honest with you it's a, a huge huge um burden if I'm really honest oh without uh, because you couldn't live without it could you uh, oh well I'd love to really but I haven't got a choice it's not about me being a nice person or this that and the other it's 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 about when I think if you're a half decent average person who happens to have a platform which I have an unusual platform that um, you know uh, when you're when you're shown things when you've been there when you've seen it um you're changed Um, a lot of people do that i mean you know you've got ngos all around the world doing that and they come back and they're all communicators in different ways and you tell stories that actually land in the laps of people and they change their consumption patterns as a result what i i definitely approach things differently from a time perspective but also you know i really try and get 3d and surround sound about like what is it? Often I meet amazing, brilliant people who are just too clever to fix the problem. Mm. They're just too bright. Mm. And, and, and they're focused on the detail. And we do need that detail. So I think this is kind of trying to like dot to dot the dot to dotted finish game. And I think um, 
Uh, so what does that mean? What on earth am I talking about? Um, I think when you're looking at population health going down and the cost of that going up and then the rise of obesity directly linked with type 2 diabetes uh, and then directly related to Alzheimer's and then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, an ageing population Mm -hmm. and the cost of that. You know, like, when you... It's a complex story to tell, but really it becomes about a story about environment, Mm -hmm. which is then about honesty and truth. It's about why haven't we got legislation around labelling? Why isn't it legislation for it to be colour-coded? Why why do we... Why why are these really obvious things not fixed? And it's because we're all daft. We're daft. And, 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 And also, CEOs and ministers only average about four years in term which is way too short to make good decisions for children. But then you make something like Sugar Rush, as just as the last big documentary that you made. Yeah. Was it? And it had a huge impact, and I was looking on Twitter, all over the world, particularly in Australia and, and here where it had just been shown. The response was phenomenal, and it was because you were responding as just a normal human being. And mm. there's something about you know, authenticity. It's the thing that we love, and it is about not overthinking. It's about... You've got to humanise this stuff, you know. I mean, I think, ultimately, I, I just want you to picture this for a second. When I sit down in front of my organ... So all these people you see around you now, when I gather them together for a town hall meeting and go, right, guys, oh, and, and I'm their leader, right? They work for me. I pay their bills on time every month, right? Guys, I've got this great idea. We're going to spend a year and a half dedicated to creating a new tax in Britain. <laughs> what, and you think what? Because we all love tax. So I think the, these concepts are not I have to sell them in internally first yeah and I have to ratify my romantic view with science and then the only reason we actually won the sugary drinks tax because Cameron didn't want it Mm -hmm. and we were part of the construction of the childhood obesity plan before it got torn to pieces by Mrs May and her cronies um the uh the only thing that actually was any legislation in her plan the only thing left was the sugary drinks tax which by far and large was the hardest thing to get through and we got it through and the only reason we got it through was because the romantic side of me and the righteous side of me um, and the one trying to treat other people's kids like my own was backed up most importantly by economic modelling science and the longest list I've ever seen of heads of NGOs and departments of health I, I mean if you were entrusted with any responsibility and that was put in front of you, you'd go, oh, okay. But, but, but what's interesting is, like, and again, just with, like, the concept of, like, okay, so as someone listening to this pod, pod, podcast now, are you going to judge the concept of a sugary drinks tax? Even though it's righteous and, it's, and we've gone through all that and we've got it, it was never about that. Mm. It was never about lowering consumption of the drinks. Mm. It was... Um, it was never about increasing more milk and water sales, which it will do. It was never about even the tax revenueing up to a billion pounds of new money into school food system for sports and breakfast clubs. Right? I love all that, and I admit all that, but it was never about that. It was about a moment in time when the government, that historically have had no balls, have stood up, identified an area of environmental change where these little businesses have gone from little to prolific and sponsor our Olympics and all this sort of mm. stuff acknowledge that it's a problem put them on the naughty step and what it was really about was to to fuel the reformulation of the whole industry yeah. which is now happening 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. So and everyone's years, reformulating. So everybody's on board now. And, and actually, there's a point, you know, in five years' time, you might say that it's going to be really hard to get hold of some of these sugary drinks. I think, first of all, with the exception of things like hydrogenated fats, which cause cancer, you know, which categorically are, ne- are negative, um, generally speaking, I don't want to take anything away from anyone. You know, although people might think that I'm a kind of on-off, healthy or unhealthy, I, I, think, the, I think the naughty things in life are there to be savoured and enjoyed and that's part of a healthy balanced life in my opinion I think psychologically I think there's enough room in the week to have some indulgence for sure for me it was in a, in a way like a piece of chocolate or a cake has been the honest naughtiness ever we, it's never lied to you it's never said it was healthy where things get complicated is in the area of things like cereals, which we did in the food fights this year. Yeah, and, and Kellogg's announced last week 50% reduction in sugar. Yep. And that's all part of the sugary drinks tax noise. Yeah. And Hugh's been very active in this area as well. Nestle have just made a, a bunch of commitments around um, colour-coded nutritionals, which is, of course, not legislation, it's optional. But um, And I think Friday Night Feast and the documentaries that I do are about the conversation and I think in a a sort of we have had we've largely had success so and I don't take that for granted at all I mean it's in a way it's sort of now because we pulled I mean especially because we pulled off the sugary drinks tax that I think in everyone's mind was like a surprise um now the next conversation is like what next oh my god it's Oliver again so my responsibility is I've got to be I've got to treat this with real respect as well I mean it's it's I wouldn't say it's easy I think when you give the public good clear information they often make great choices I think the public at large are good people I saw it most vigorously um when I did um foul dinners which was an interesting show I did it about I don't know like 10 or 8 years ago but we did a show where we invited a bunch of people in the industry and, and campaigners and this that and the other members of the public to a gourmet dinner with Jamie Oliver 
they got in, it was black tie, and then I clicked my fingers and the walls came down and we were in a chicken farm. And basically, I wasn't pushing any standard. I didn't feel it was my position to preach. But it was the story of the same chickens, or eggs, hatching, and those chicks going off into intensive, free-range organic systems, and what happens. It went out on a Friday night. It got 4.7 million viewers. So sometimes the simplicity can work. Yeah. you just got to find the sort of way to tell those stories. Yeah. Um, we got out of, you know, Britain got out of caged battery eggs way before Europe. Um, so, you know, it's, it's amazing how certain things have a very visceral, immediate change yeah. to all elements of the, of the public. Happy Christmas, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Delicious Podcast Extra Portion. We're back next week with more from Jamie on what he's planning to fight for next year. Plus, Dawn French on her role as a chef in Sky One's drama series, brilliantly titled Delicious. And more from our usual menu, producers, food stars and the Delicious Magazine Test Kitchen. Make sure you subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app. And have a very merry Christmas. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.